you would turn with me tonight to Psalm 107, beginning at the 31st verse, Psalm 107. The blessed portion of this psalm having to do with men praising the Lord. You know, I've often thought that uh, if we would learn to praise, we would have less time for the things that trouble us so much, the little things of life which uh, can annoy. And if we spend some time praising, of course, I, one of the men that's always impressed me with his praising the Lord is Dr. Woodbridge. For whenever you'd meet him, that's the first thing he would say, praise the Lord. And uh, this is a wonderful, brings wonderful joy to your own heart to be praising the Lord all the time for his wonderful love for us. As it says in that 31st verse, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. When we think of what he's given us, the other day I was listening to a uh, one of the uh, nuclear physicists, and he made the statement. Uh, he said, the thing that amazes me is not that we have discovered how to split the atom. The thing that amazes me is the one who made it. I was so thrilled to hear a statement like that. The thing that amazes me is the one who made it. And if we would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. We've just begun to discover many things, haven't we, that have been here all along. When we think that all of our mathematics, everything that we have, comes from the hand of God, because mathematics is really taken from nature itself, its preciseness and the atom and its division and all of these things that man discovers were placed there as mathematical certainties by God before man ever came to that point of discovery. So there is to be that praise in our hearts for his goodness. And of course, this would take in just the normal goodnesses, but the great goodness of God to us is the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Then in the 32nd verse, uh, it says, let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people. Now, the first one, the 31st verse, might take general praise from all mankind. Uh, that, uh, as Romans would say, uh, looking at the firmament and seeing the stars and everything around you, that uh, I think even those who are, may never have found faith in Jesus Christ, there are times in their life that they have been touched by the scene and uh, possibly in their hearts even uttered. There's, I doubt there's anyone here tonight that hasn't in some time looked at, uh, been at some place in the country possibly, looked over some beautiful scene from a mountaintop, and, and the thought in the heart comes, see what God has wrought. Uh, there's something about the majesty of it all that uh, you can't pass you by. And uh, the general praise of men that uh, they might have when they see all the beauties and the glories of God. 
But then, of course, he brings it down to the congregation, and this differentiates from the world outside and their praise of God. We have to admit that the world, by and large, believes in God. If we were to take the religions of earth, I guess about, they say about, oh, probably 87% of the people would trace their lineage to Abraham. That would take in, of course, the two, all of the great religions, Mohammedism, where Abraham is their father 187 times in the Koran, and which, of course, is the basic reason for the battle in Israel. This is the stem root. This is the family battle that's occurring in, in Israel, you see. As I said a few weeks ago, it's like the Hatfields and McCoys. That's what's happening in Israel. Two branches of the same family battling it out. No worse battle can come than that. Because each of the children of Abraham, Ishmael, the father of the Islamic, races, Mohammedism, and, of course, Isaac, the father of Israel. And here are these two groups clashing over who owns this thing. By inheritance, each claim it's theirs, you see. And uh, so when we, we think of the, uh, the exalting of God and the praising of God and the congregation of God, and we think of how in the world, the clashes that even come. Some people, here are two nations who claim belief in God uh, and trace themselves to the same father, trace themselves to Abraham, and yet battling it out, uh, bloodily so. There's nothing worse. I'd, is there anything worse than a family fight? Uh, and here is this condition existing, trying to settle it politically. You never hear anything about the family fight at all. And of course... Uh, all the world admits to this there's a faith in God. Uh, very few, any place we go, would deny this. Even in our own nation, when the question is asked, do you believe in God? The answer in about 80%, 75 to 80% was yes. Of do you believe in God? Of course, when it got down to Christ, it began to uh, pass away as to their faith. And when it got down to the essentials of faith in Christ, it got worse and worse and worse. So that when they finally would get to the virgin birth, you'd be down to about 2%. You see, it kept diminishing all the time. But this, the, the world by and large believes, and so there is the goodness of God as far as the world is concerned, believing in a God. But then, as I said, he brings it to the congregation. And this is his congregation. He says, let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Now, of course, this exalting him in the congregation of the people is a congregation such as this and a fellowship such as this, rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has given us in his redemption and exalting him and him alone. No exaltation of the preacher, no exaltation of men, no exaltation of boards, but praising God and exalting the one who has given this all to us. And then the boards themselves, the elders, the, the men who are surrounding the preacher, the pastor, all of this praise in the assembly. How blessed this is. 
How blessed this is when the elders praise the Lord. Those who are in positions in the church of authority spiritually. Praising the Lord. How, how many times have you been in a church where the hierarchy or those who are in the command places in the church are battling each other? And the church suffers under this battle all the time. But here the congregation is to exalt God and to praise him for what he is doing. And let me tell you, as, as this goes on, I often think how blessed it would be if like at, at tables when the, the, the meals are taken and, and dinner time with the children and all, there's an exalting of God by the congregation. Never criticism, never copying, never talking about another Christian. Oh, how dreadful that is. How terrible it must be to children's ears who, who take everything in if they hear criticism of, of some other Christian or, or maybe some gossip about somebody else. How terrible. But if there's an exalting of the Lord by the congregation of the people, not only in the congregation, we get so little opportunity to praise the Lord in the congregation itself. Prayer meeting night, some opportunities. But actually the great praising of the Lord in the congregation is that which happens in their homes, the praise within the family circle. Is there praise of God for what God has done to you? He's, he's given you food on your table. He's given you love for each other. He's given you tenderness. He's given you a family. He's given you all these things. Yes, you've had your burdens and your heartaches like all mankind, but underneath all this are the everlasting arms and there's praise to him. And so the congregation is to be praising, is to be exalting God. Let them exalt him in the congregation of the people. There should be a rejoicing in the people's hearts that the work of the Lord is on fire. That the Lord Jesus is doing great things. And there should be too then in the hearts of the elders the praising of the Lord. And I, and I can't say too much about this. This is so important. The praising of the Lord by, by those in the positions of spiritual leadership. Those who, who minister the things of the church. The praising of the Lord. Oh, how blessed this is to the people. To know that those who are in these places are praising the Lord for his wondrous presence with us. And then notice what it says here. Because it takes a great change of tone. It is always God is saying here, if you don't do this, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. If the congregation does not exalt God and the elders do not praise the Lord for his great works, then notice what I will do. Because he turneth rivers, remember, he turneth rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground. A fruitful land he will turn into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. And this is a very important thing God is saying to us here. Now, if the congregation fails to exalt God. And if the elders fail to praise the Lord for the blessings that are being bestowed upon them, then remember 
that God can take these things and turn rivers of water of life. Remember it says that out of his belly shall flow rivers of the waters of life. Those who are truly redeemed and praising the Lord that these waters of life will flow forth from us. But if we fail to praise the Lord, then notice it says, he will turn those rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground. Now, beloved, this would take in so many areas, wouldn't it, if God were to do this? And notice the base of it all, the fact that the congregation is not exalting God and the elders, the pastor, and those with him are not praising the Lord for all that's happening. In other words, they've become involved in so many other things that the great praise of the Lord and what the Lord seeks more than anything from you and from me is, is love. You'll remember that the great judgment upon the church in Revelation is this, that you have left your first love. You have forgotten your first love. You are not like you were, God is saying, when you were first saved, there's something wrong with you. You came into this new life. You were a new creation in Christ Jesus. I put my son in your breast to dwell in you so that the power of Christ might reside in you as the very temple of God. And all I wanted from you was that you love me as a son to a father. And I have somewhat against you because you left your first love. And we have to be so careful that we have not. How many can say tonight that your spiritual life is deeper and richer and better than it was six months after you're saved? Was there a time within that first year after you're saved that you had the deeper, richer joy than you have today? Because that is not to be according to God's Word. According to God's Word, you know, it's hard for me, like uh, last night... Uh, I never go out on Saturday, but as you know, I'm a former Belrosian from Belrose Baptist Church. I was a deacon there many, many years ago. And, uh, of course, I taught the adult Bible class over in Belrose Baptist, and, and that's where I really got my start because uh, we took a little class with 13 in it, an adult class, and in one year we had it to 113. And Belrose Baptist rented two stores across the street and the class painted their stores up and we had a great time in there just studying Romans. But, you know, like last night I went, was over to, they had a, a, a banquet for the Belrose people from all over. They came from Massachusetts, Connecticut, and uh, they asked would I come and just speak for maybe 10 minutes. Well, you know, it's so hard. Uh, I had so much in my heart I wanted to say. I wanted to talk about Franklin Avenue. And, and this is difficult. I had to, I honestly had to stop myself. I had to gear myself for it. Because the praise was in my heart for what has happened, you see. And I, and I wanted it, and I had written down on a card what I wanted to say. You know, I just, so I could, and as I looked at it, I thought, why, this is all about Franklin Avenue. And this is, uh, this is Bell Road. So when I got up, I said immediately, I said, in my heart, I really want to talk about Franklin Avenue, but this is Bell Rose, and this is where I came from in the beginning. This is where I was saved, and I was baptized, and my son Donald and, and Lynn were dedicated here, and I want to talk about what this church meant to me from its beginning. 
But it was so hard. Why? Because in my heart, it was this very thing that we're talking about here, you see. There was this, there was this praise, you see, that was welling up within my soul, praising the Lord for all that had he had done here. It was just a normal thing to be within my breast. And uh, so this should be the, the great thing that should be in our hearts. We don't want God to turn the rivers of blessing that we have had, as he says here, to turn the rivers into a wilderness. We say, now, Lord, you, the rivers have been flowing here. The rivers have been touching souls in, in so many areas of our work. You, you don't think that the rivers just touch souls because I'm up here, do you? I want to tell you, the rivers touch souls on our visitation work. The rivers touch souls when the choir sings. The rivers touch souls when the brigade fellows and the pioneer girls and their leaders talk to others about Jesus Christ. The rivers touch souls in our young people, as you saw here two weeks ago, what happens in their lives. The rivers touch souls in the junior church as Frank has them across the street. Souls come to Christ. The rivers touch souls all over, you see. So that we don't want those rivers to become a wilderness, do we? And God said, I'm telling you how you can prevent it. The congregation is to exalt God. And the elders, that's talking to the preacher and those with him, are to be praising the Lord for what the Lord is doing. There's to be, as 1 Corinthians 3 says, uh, he says, whereas there are divisions and strifes among you, are ye not yet carnal? And how can I talk to you as unto spiritual? For whereas these things be, he says, and you have your little camps, and this one says, I'm of Apollos, and this one says, I'm of Cephas, and another says, I'm of Paul. He says, was Paul crucified for you? No. Who should we exalt? He says, Christ was crucified for you. This is the one you exalt. You never look at men. And so this great exultation and praise should be flowing from our hearts so that the rivers do not become a wilderness. Ah, that's what it is, you see. We want those rivers to keep flowing, don't we? Huh? we could, you know, if we were to look at an individual's experience, if we were to go, let, turn with me to Psalm 32, to give you an idea of how, in one man's life, the rivers turned into a wilderness. Here's David, David the king. He's sinned very deeply before God, adultery and murder. And here he is now, this man who praised God for so much of the blessings of life. Now listen to him in the third verse. He says, when I kept silence, silence in two ways here, he no longer could praise the Lord because he was in sin and he'd never been forgiven. You can't be living in sin and praising the Lord at the same time. Let me tell you, God doesn't allow it. If your heart isn't filled with joy, you'll not be praising the Lord. If you are not victorious in your Christian life, you can't praise the Lord. Your tongue will be tied because you just can't do it. God won't allow it. You won't be able to understand it, but you can't praise the Lord and be living in sin. And notice David's experience. He says, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day. Notice. <clears throat> now notice the rivers turning, you know, into wilderness, dry places. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought. Notice the rivers have become a wilderness. The drought 
of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid now. He's speaking about the change that's taken place. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in the time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Notice the 10th verse. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Here's the experience of one man. He went through this terrible drought season, falling into sin, not coming to God, not confessing it, not getting it cleared away, not being able to praise the Lord. He was silent before God. He couldn't pray. He couldn't do anything because you can't pray till everything is out of the way. You know, no man can come into the presence of God and just pray. I hope you never try that. I hope that when you pray at home, you just don't get on your knees and begin to say, Father, here's what I need. Now this and this and this and this. There's only one way that you can pray. And that is when you go to God, you say, Now, Lord, I'm unworthy even to come into thy presence. For though I am thy redeemed man, thy redeemed young person, thy re yet am I a sinner needing the forgiveness of every sin I've committed. And if there are ones you know about and you name them, write to him because he knows them anyway. You have to be clear of sin before you can open your heart to God. You can't praise the Lord while sin is there. The Lord says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. So why praise the Lord if you're in sin? You have nothing to praise the Lord about anyway if you're living in sin. So God is making sure that we can't get to him in prayer unless that prayer is for forgiveness when we sin. And we can't praise the Lord because he says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. And so there is this here, he warns us, be sure that you're exalting God as a congregation. Be sure that the officers of the church are those who praise the Lord. And then you will understand that if this does not happen, watch the church. Now, how many of you have watched churches like this? I would not have to take you far from here to show you churches that are in the drought of a wilderness. There's no life coming forth from them. There's no gospel coming forth from them. They're in the drought of summer. There's no rivers of living waters flowing from them. There's an absolute deadness. And instead of a living church, it's like a mausoleum. No power, no message, no life. And so, now notice as he goes on here, it says he turns the wilderness a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. Now notice this now. Here's a change. He also turns the wilderness into a standing water. Notice now. In other words, but he also 
can upon repentance change the whole picture. Here's a church who's living in deadness, that's living in complete deadness. I've seen this happen. I've seen a church with a preacher in the pulpit, no life, no message, no power. The church is dead. It hasn't anything. They get a new preacher. He comes and the rivers of living waters begin to flow out. Repentance sets in in the people of God. And then you see the results here. He says, he turneth the wilderness into a standing water. And he turns the dry ground into water springs. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell, that they may prepare a city for habitation. And sow the fields and plant vineyards, which may yield fruits of increase. In other words, we find ourselves in the position where if we praise the Lord, if we exalt our God together, that then God pours out his blessing and it flows. And as I said, it flows in every area of the work. You begin to see it in its different places, flowing as God yearns that it may flow. Now, it tells us that in a nation that is wicked, we've said in this portion right here, it talks about the one that says, a fruitful land he will turn into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. We could look at our country. We'd better be careful. It says it's very clear for the wickedness that's in the land. He's turned many a land barren. I don't think we'd have to look too far to find out how barren some of these lands are. It can't help but make me think of that verse in Scripture where it says in Second Chronicles 7, 14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, notice this. In other words, there's a, there's a prerequisite here. Then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Notice it's sin. He's going to have to forgive to heal the land because wickedness is rife in the land. Wickedness is rife in our country. And he says, then I will hear them and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Then he says right after that, now, and I put a big circle around this because it's something that you don't think about. He says, now my eye shall be open. Well, I think I said once before, I never quite pictured God's eyes closed. Did you? That's exactly what it says. He says, now my eyes will be open to that nation and my ears will hear them. But how? On what grounds? Only on the grounds that they humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. Notice all these prerequisites God puts down for a nation. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. Boy, that's clear, isn't it? Couldn't be clearer. You know, when Bob prayed before, he prayed for our nation. We have to bring our nation in here because it tells us in this portion in the Psalms that uh, a fruitful land he will turn into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. 
And here he gives the answer that if a people will humble themselves and turn to him and turn from their wicked ways, they will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And if ever a land needs healing, we need healing. And then he says, my eye shall be open. I'm so glad for that. His eyes can be open to the United States. But only as a revival sweeps through many, many areas, not just here, but many, many places in this country. And oh, how I pray that in, in spotted areas, I don't expect, according to God's word, there'll be any great worldwide revival. This, these are the last days. Then there's nothing that ever indicates there'll be a revival of worldwide possibilities until the 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel sweep the earth during the tribulation period. And I believe there'll be many souls saved at that time. And they will have to die for their faith. It'll be a tremendous thing in that day. But, beloved, there can be what I call spots where revival will break out. Little areas. Right now, there are, uh, is great revival going on in certain places in the Far East. Great revivals are going on. Amazing revivals. In Vietnam, they tell me, the men who visited there, it's amazing how the people have taken to some of these things. In some of those countries, the revival has spread like wildfire. And we praise God for that. There'll be these in different little places. But in our hearts, in this nation, we should pray. Here we are here that we should pray that God would really deal with our nation. And so many of us have this responsibility as Christians to go out and to, to seek to show these people, our own neighbors, the people around us, that what we believe in Jesus Christ is the essential to life. It's the essential to everything. It's the great means of our of our holding on at this time in this great nation's problems and its trial. And here God calls upon any nation who wants to come back. He says, if you'll just humble yourself, just pray to me, just seek my face, turn from your wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I'll forgive your sin and I'll heal your land. And then he says, for now have I chosen and sanctified this place that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. Oh, how I'd pray for that, for this place. Now notice this. I'm going to read this and finish. But if ye turn away, I'm reading now, and forsake my statutes and forsake my commandments, which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods, and boy, there's lots of other gods, aren't there, huh? and worship them, we could think of a whole list, that the dollar and all the rest that we have today. Then this house, I'm reading parts now of this, then this house, which is high, and this nation has reached the peak, shall be an astonishment to everyone that passes by it, so that they shall say, Why hath the Lord done this unto this house? And it shall be answered, because they forsook the Lord their God and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore hath he brought all this evil upon them. Now, beloved, I think God makes it pretty clear, doesn't he? We don't want barrenness in our land. We want the rivers of living waters to be flowing. We can have these things. 
we feel right in this little area we're in we need it more than any other place right now right here we need rivers of living waters flowing in your area in mine and communities where we come from that it might flow out oh praise god for what he's done for you exalt the lord himself and then pray for this nation we love so much ask that there'll be a humbling and a seeking god's face that these very things he said it shall be answered to those who look at this nation why did god forsake them because they have laid hold on other gods other things and worship them and serve them therefore he brought all this evil upon them did it with israel many times brought them low punished them severely because they forsook his face oh may we not have it in this nation we love but especially in this church we love may we exalt god and praise the lord let us pray father we thank thee for thy blessed word lord touch our hearts tonight and the simple words of god are so clear he gives us the way that we are to do things that we're to praise him that we're to exalt god and that if we don't uh, barrenness can come and the rivers can become like a wilderness drought come to the land and then he tells us that it's possible if there's a confession of sin if we'll forsake our sin he'll forgive us and he'll heal the land lord our nation needs a healing we've got so many problems lord it's not just one problem we can think of a multitude of problems starting with the war starting with civil rights going down through all of industry employment labor lord we can't pick up a newspaper but we find the whole front page just laden with the problems and then we listen to god and he says and then they that pass by that nation that house will look at it and say how could this have ever happened to them and god will answer because they forsook me and served other gods therefore did i give all this evil upon them now father we're praying that just as a little congregation will be what we should be touch our hearts may we in this church praise the lord and exalt our god may we seek his face forgiveness of sins that we shall never have it said about our little homes why is this home the way it is because they forsook god and served other gods and this evil has come upon them in christ's name amen